Hey guys, how you doing this morning? I'm going to try and be really nice because I feel so excited. When I get excited, I get so aggressive. It's true, eh? I guess some of my youth leaders like, Jack, man, but I get so excited when God's doing stuff. I just love to hit him. I'm just like, oh man, like God's doing stuff. Ah! Tell you a story real quick, real quick story. I was down in Chicago because I lived there and so it was convenient. And I was in a prayer meeting. I was there with two friends. His name was Grant and the other guy was Garth. And Garth is, he's a crazy guy. Um, he, he is one of the only two people, Ash McKenzie, my very good friends visiting this morning, Ash McKenzie and Grant, Garth Chimpoy, the only two people I know who make my energy levels look normal. Okay, they, and, and Garth, this guy's so extreme, he actually makes me look introverted. And uh, so we're there and we're praying. We've been praying for about two, three hours. And, uh, and, Garth is the kind of guy who goes, I feel like God wants me to be joyful, so I'm going to run around this room because no one's here. I'm going to be a jellyfish, and he'll run around going, whoop, 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 because I reckon this will make God laugh. And so this kind of guy he is, and, uh, and so we're praying, and he comes up to me and goes, I feel like God wants me to um, hit you. And I go, it's an interesting revelation. And, uh, and Grant's like, yeah, I feel, I feel the same. And Grant's standing in front of me. He goes, I, I, want, I want to hit you. And both these men are uh, pretty solid guys. And so I'm, I'm curious by nature. I just hate not knowing. I will research things I have no intention to ever get just because I want to know how they work. And, um, and, and so he, I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I will find out. So Grant punches me in the chest. And I go, ah, and, uh, and, and, then, and then Garth behind me goes, yeah, I can feel it. And he hits me in the spinal cord. And I go, ah. And so they think I'm having a Pentecostal, like, oh, God moment. And I'm just reeling in pain. And, and then um, Grant goes, yeah, this is awesome. And he punches me in the gut. I'm like, ah. Oh. And then Garth goes, yes, God is amazing. And he hits me in the spinal cord again. This was a really exciting, aggressive moment. And we would probably never do this at Thrive. And... Uh, <laughs> And, but I was excited. And, and, and they're like, yeah. And I go, no, stop it. The only thing I feel is pain. This is stupid. And then the next moment, I hear Garth yell out, he's going down. And the paragod hits me. I slam to the ground. And probably for the next 10 or 15 minutes, I can't even lift my body this far off the ground. Like I try and push up. And the way of God just pushes me back onto the ground. Like God is sitting on me. I, I love it when God gets aggressive. We're not going to hit people or anything like that. But I'm, I'm like, I'm not the kind of guy like, if I want to say hello to Mitch, I'm just like, I'm just going to walk up, I'm going to tackle that guy, I'm going to hit him. And that's why I love youth group. Because you, you can hit people at youth group. You can't do that as a kid's pastor, you know. It's just, it's not the same to tackle a four-year-old. It's like, hey, man. So anyway, I'm sharing this because I've got a really aggressive story I want to tell this morning. Really aggressive. It is by far one of the most amazing Bible stories in the history of the Word of God. And it is phenomenal. And it's all about uh, reformation. It's all about the kingdom of God coming, which is why I love Connor's word this morning, because it's just like that when the kingdom of God comes and, and change follows and then breakthrough comes and then fruit comes and then healing comes and then peace comes and prosperity comes, all because of the kingdom of God came because somebody stood in the gap and went, man, I, I need the kingdom of God. So this story is about uh, 750 years uh, before the time of Christ, roughly around then, give or take 50 years. And uh, there was a king called Ahaz. 
And this is a really dark time uh, for, the, for the land of Israel. It's been split. Um, the tribe of Benjamin and Judah are one nation, and the other 10 tribes remain with Israel. And Israel has, has, has fallen in complete darkness. Uh, they're so um, perverse, and they've given themselves over to sin. And, and they're, they're pretty wretched. And then Judah and Benjamin, they begin to follow. And their king comes to power. He's 20 years old, and his name is Ahaz, and he is evil. He is like the embodiment of evil. He is so wretched that he even sacrifices one of his own children in fire because he wants to be like the Assyrians. He wants to, he wants to completely, it says that no one ever went so far out of their way to deliberately defile the words of God. This guy is unbelievable. He's so evil. Um, the the, the um, nations around him and Israel combine together to come and destroy the tribe of Judah. This is a descendant of David. And so Israel gathers together with some of the um, nations around them and they are going to annihilate and destroy this kingdom. And, and so Ahaz, in his desperation, he goes to Assyria and Assyria is bent on conquering the whole world. They just have a vast army and they are brutal. They are ruthless. They are just carnal. They are just like, if you know the story of Jonah and the whale, and you know, I don't want to go to Nineveh, the, the, the capital city is Nineveh. They are just epically bad. And so, so King Ahaz, he goes to Assyria and says, hey, mate, uh, my fellow tribes are coming to kill me. And, and I want to give you all this gold and everything like that. I, I, I want to serve you and everything like that. Come and protect me. So Assyria brings their army down because they are massive and, and they defend them and, and, and this king keeps his kingdom. And he sees the, the, the altars of, of his pagan king. And so he takes the design back and he goes to Solomon's temple and he begins to destroy it. And, and he takes all of God's things out and sets it up as this place of idolatry and, and evil. And so the, the kingdom of Judah has never been in a more God-removed state ever. And then this king dies and his son, probably one of the lucky ones who didn't get burned alive, um, Hezekiah comes into power. It's 25 years old. And it says in the first month of the first year of his reign, he set about to restore the kingdom of God in his kingdom. Uh, he's, he's lived in a nation that all he has known is, is pure evil. He's seen his siblings get destroyed. He's seen all the ways of God removed. And this is what he grew up with. There is something inside of him where he is looking and there is a spirit of confrontation within him where he sees the way that it is. And instead of going, oh man, it's, it's so bad. Oh man, oh, I think the end of the world must be coming. I don't, I don't know how we can get back from this. I mean, young people these days and old people, they're all just killing each other. And oh, well, I guess that's just the way it is. It's tough to bring kids up in this day. He's just like, I'm going to change it. And he's got an advantage because he's the king. That's um, a good head start. He's like, I'm going to change this. And, and imagine if you're his advisors, you go, look, I understand. I understand. But look, give it time. You're 25. Let's wait till you're 30. Like cement your reign first. I mean, there'll be other people vying for the throne, all of this, it's always happening. Just calm it down, Hezekiah. Like you'll get assassinated. He's like, no. So it says in the first month of his first year of his reign, he began to restore the temple. He says he goes in and, and he, he fixes the temple doors because they're all broken. He begins to overlay them with gold. 
He calls the priests in and they, they haven't been priests for so long and there's hardly any of them left. He says, we've got to, we've got to start worshipping God again. And he's so zealous about it and that he begins to bring back the, the Davidic form of worship. So King David brought in this whole new form of worship that was so unbelievable. He begins to restore it. And he's so passionate about, about the kingdom of God that he says, you know, he begins to make wives of the men serving. He begins to bring equality through. And he's like, he's just going out of his way. He's like, man, we're still short. I need more priests. How old are you? You're three. Sweet. You're a priest. Like, I'll give you priestly duties. And, and, and they would do it all proper. These three-year-olds would go through all the ceremonies and everything. He's like, I just need a generation. I just need generations of people to join me. I don't care whether you're 85 years old and you're a grandma. Come be a priest. You could be three. Come. I, like, I just got to gather people who will stand with me and see the kingdom of God come because I live in such a broken world. But I know that if I get the kingdom of God, then I'm going to get freedom. If you take notes this morning, it is, it, my message is entitled, The Cost of Freedom. And so he begins to gather all of these people and then he gathers his nation together. He says, we're gonna celebrate the Passover. And they begin to celebrate and they do it for seven days. And it's so amazing. And the people are so excited to experience the life of God. They go, can we keep going? And the king's like, sure, let's go, let's do it again. So they do it all over again. And he donates like a thousand sheep and a thousand cows. I mean, like, I've got... 14 cows at the moment. I'm pretty excited. He gives away like a thousand cows. And, and he goes, man, I've got to do this. And then he's so excited about the kingdom of heaven. He gets these messengers and he says, go to Israel. Go to the other 10 tribes. And these guys would be like, what? You, you mean the ones who, who tried, to, tried to kill us earlier? You, you mean our enemies? Do you want me to go to, to them and, and, and do what? To invite them to Jerusalem? The, the very people that a generation ago tried to destroy us, you want to invite them into our capital city. You're literally going to open up our defenses and welcome them in. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Because there is a goodness of God and I want them to experience it. So all these messengers leave Judah and they go out to Israel that is, is so broken and say, come. And he writes this incredible message. He says, don't be stubborn. And you can read this in Second uh, Chronicles 28 and 2 Kings chapter 18. It's got a crossover story. It's really good. But you've got to read them both together to be able to get all the picture. And, uh, and so these messengers go out to Israel and say, hey, come, don't be stubborn. If you would, if you would give your life to God, if you would see His, His, His goodness come, if you would follow His ways, then you'll have freedom. And so he goes about all of this stuff and he, and he restores the whole temple. But they're still slaves to Assyria. They're still slaves to this pagan nation that's bent on destroying the, the world and, and ruling it. And, and Judah itself wasn't worth much to them. But geographically, it was a really strategic place that the, that the nation of Assyria needed in, in order to continue conquering the world. They needed that spot. And, and so as they begin to, to rejoice in God and everything like this, a change begins to happen. I said earlier that, that the physical always follows the spiritual. And spiritual freedom begins to come around the nation and then physical freedom begins to follow. This is they, they begin to advance their kingdom. 
against the Philistine nations that, were, that are loyal to Assyria, they begin to attack them. And they begin to extend their kingdom. They begin to push against and they rebel against Assyria. And they become a free nation. All because one man stood in a time where there was complete darkness and said, this isn't good enough. I believe that God can do better. I believe that God can do immeasurably more than I can imagine. I believe that if I follow Him, then His blessings will come around my life. I believe that I can trust Him. And so then he rebels against the king of Assyria, which is the craziest move ever. It's like, what? That would be like Stuart Island rebelling against the rest of the world. If they wanted Stuart Island, I don't know. But um, that joke would have killed an Invercargill, man. <laughs> uh, stay focused. And so anyway, they rebel. And uh, he's pursuing God's kingdom and he's pursuing freedom for his people. He's pursuing it. He's pursuing it. I mean, he could have just sat there as a king and just enjoyed his life. Because here's the thing. If you rebel against Assyria, they will destroy you. And then they will kill you as the king, for it was their custom. And then they would put somebody else, probably one of their own people, to rule over that kingdom. And the line of David, which had been going for 300 years, would end. Now, this is a really important line because Jesus is going to come from this line. Like, like the fate of the world is kind of entwined with this kingly reign. And so these guys are like, man, what are you doing? Like, you're the line of David. We've been in power for 300 years. And we've got two tribes. We used to have 12, but let's just hold on to what we have. And the king is like, what we have isn't enough because I know that God has so much more. And sometimes for me, I'll drive my car around and like, I love, I mean, I love multi, I love old people and everything and young people. But for me, like one of my biggest passions, I just, I love teenagers. I know that God specifically has called me to teenagers and I'll drive my car and it's almost like I can see them without faces, just their bodies. And I'll begin crying in my car going, God, I'm coming for them. I'm coming for these young people. I'm coming. There is something in me where I look at the influence that I have in young people and I go, it's not enough. God, I want to see your kingdom come into the generation that you have tasked me to. And the fears of the influence that you have, my heart is that you would begin to get a passion where you would look at your workplace, at the school that you're in, at the the mum groups that you're a part of and the friends that you have and go, God, I know you can do more. I know that you can see your kingdom begin to advance in their lives. I know that hope and dreams and and, and goodness and finances and and health can begin flowing through me into the connections that I have in my community, that I'll begin to see them established in love as your kingdom moves through me. And so this king, he's so like, this isn't enough. It isn't enough. I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to trust in God. And, and the pursuit of freedom is such an intense thing. I, I've heard it said once, and I, I believe it's really true, that when you, when you begin to step into something in faith, you will often see somebody who's doing the same thing and they'll fail. That, that, that Satan likes to show you the failures of others to highlight them to put doubt and fear into your life. And a great example of this is Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they're bound up, about to be led into the fiery furnace, and the guards open up the door, and the guards begin to burn up and die right in front of them as they're about to step in, believing that God can set them free. 
And so here's this king uh, rebelling against the greatest might on the planet. And, and Assyria comes down and instead of you know, directly going to attack them, he attacks the other 10 tribes. He attacks the other part of Israel that this king isn't in rulership of. And, and they, they, they surround Samaria, which is the capital city of these other 10 tribes, and they surround it and they lay siege to it for three years. Because the strategy of the day, you didn't want to risk your men, even though you'd have hundreds and thousands of soldiers, it was so much easier to surround the city and then just wait on the outside for them to die. Because uh, eventually they'll, they'll run out of food and then they have to start recycling food and recycling water. That's not a pretty picture. And then disease begins to break out. And then eventually a, remem- a, remainment was a remnant, you're so learned, a remnant of that, that city, weak and feeble, already enslaved to fear, will come out and will subjugate themselves to you and go away as slaves. And so Hezekiah is rebelled and he's watching. He's been king for four years and now he sees Samaria, which is a big, powerful place, get surrounded and for three years they slowly starve to death until they become slaves and they're led off to slavery and the whole nation of Israel falls to Assyria. But he's still standing strong. still going for freedom. And, And this is what it says. It says that the people in his city When he began to bring about the kingdom of God, they rejoiced because it happened so quickly. Because it happened so quickly. I so often have this fear that people don't really want to know about God. Imagine this king who's ruling where everyone's already got all their idols. I mean, I live in a nation where pretty much you're either a Christian, you know, majority of the time you're either a Christian or you're just not religious. He lived in a nation where you, you were either following God or you were burning your children to another God. It's extreme contrast. Can you imagine the fear that would have been around him as the enemy would say, man, they don't even want to know about God. Why are you even doing this? You're going to defy fire Syria, but your own people won't even want to know about him. But the truth was that when he did it, the nation rejoiced that it happened so quickly. Their spirits were hungry for it. They wouldn't have even known what it was that they were missing until they got it. Have you ever had that moment in life where, where God gives you freedom from something? You're like, oh, wow, I didn't even know I was carrying that. But now that it's off my life, holy smokes, I feel like a different person. And so for us in our community, I believe that we have a community that's so hungry for the kingdom of God, they simply don't know that they're starving. And that's why I love kind of saying, you know, that the fruit is for the hungry on that river of life, that the fruit, the fruit that we carry, the ability to pray for somebody, the ability to give somebody a word of knowledge, the ability to just walk up to somebody and say, hey, you know what, you, you, God loves you. To the ability to go, go around someone and just show someone a random act of kindness. That, like the kingdom of heaven to flow through you, they're starving for it. I see so many young people come here on a Friday night and I tell them, why do you come? I think it's, I just love the atmosphere. When I walk in this place, I feel peaceful. At home, there's chaos. But when I come here, I just, I don't know what it is. I just feel calm. I say, man, that's the presence of God because there's peace. What you're, what you're experiencing is part of who He is. And there are people that are so hungry for it. And sometimes we think, man, people won't even want to see the supernatural part of God because it would freak them out. Maybe, but maybe if you explained it to them, uh, then, then they'd be quite okay with it. 
I remember one time here, it was a Friday night, we had three guys just standing here and they were visiting for the first time and there was someone here and they were having a full-on demonic manifestation of having deliverance. They're like, ah, ah, all of that stuff. Was like, Ugh. You know, your face is distorting. And these dudes are just like, so I walk over to them and they're like, what's going on? I go, oh, that's God's, God's love and His truth. And what you're seeing now, you're actually just seeing lies breaking off their life. And sometimes when lies break off people's lives, sometimes it can look like that because God's just leading them into freedom. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, and, uh, and they're hungry for it. They're hungry for it. They want something real. Your community wants something that's real. And so here's here's Akaya, and, and, and he's going pretty good. He's he's contended for the kingdom of God, and and the supernatural has led to a physical breakthrough. He's free. So the first point I want to make this morning is that the the physical follows the supernatural. And when you make that heart choice inside yourself that, oh God, I, I want this. I mean, you could want it all, all the time with your might, but if you don't really want it in your heart, you're not going to have it. If you don't get to the point where you're just like, I want this, you're not going to get it. And so Hezekiah's got this, and then freedom begins to flow, and their boundaries begin to expand and all of that. And, but then intimidation begins to come because he's pursuing freedom. Intimidation nearly always comes. And it depends on how long you look at it as to whether you get intimidated or not. Sometimes I look at intimidation and I'll be pursuing freedom for my kids or something like that and, and, and something will come out and I'll, I'll get so focused on the fact that they're getting sick and I'm just like, oh, and I'll get so intimidated. But then if I just remember something, like, whoa, let's just let's refocus. Who's my deliverer? Who's my strength? Who's my fortress? Who's my encourager? Who's my king? And intimidation begins to fall off me and, and the, the, the holy aggression of, of I will not put up with this when I could be putting up with him. Why would I put up with suffering when He could lift me up to heavenly places where I'm seated with Him? I will see His kingdom come in my life. And so so Hezekiah can see this intimidation. But still they, they continue in their freedom until seven years later. So he's been king 14 years. The Assyrian army finally get around to coming to kill him. And I don't know about you, but I'd, this, the Bible says that there never was a king like Hezekiah. Before him or after him, there was never someone who just stood the way that he stood, who brought such a reformation, who was so, from this to this so quickly. He was incredible. And so I imagine as Hezekiah and I, I see this vast army of the Assyrian nation coming to crush me, to kill me, to lead my people away. These guys were ruthless. And they get to my first town. And he's already gone and got really strategic. He's dug all these massive underground tunnels because the Assyrian army were coming, thinking, well, we'll get there and there's these wee lakes and we'll have water for our armies. And he's dug these tunnels miles long under the ground and they popped into the middle of the lake and all the water fled away from them and back into their cities. And so the Assyrians are like, ha ha. And they get there and there's just like dry ground and the king's like, I've got all the water. And he was really clever and God gave him these amazing strategies and he's rebuilt the walls and he's doubled the guards and everyone's looking shiny and they're ready to win. Because when you follow God, you just get victory every time. And then, so then he's like, man, I just get victory, I get victory. And so then he's watching this massive army coming against his first fortified city. He's like, man, every time you follow God, life's just perfect. And, and all of a sudden, what? He gets scared. He gets terrified. 
something inside of him begins to crumble. And so he goes to his treasury, just like his dad did when his dad got invaded. Some of those old thoughts are still there. Some of those old thoughts are still there. When his dad was going to get invaded by Israel, he sent a bribe to Assyria and said, would you, would you help me with my freedom? And, and, and these old patterns are there because the reality is that every time you follow God, you, you don't actually encounter victory every single time. That's just the reality. Sometimes there's a victory in the making and you don't see it to the final chapter. If you want a great example, read the book of Esther. It's so poetic, just that final stroke of the pen from God and boom, it turns around. But there was defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat until finally God brought about victory. And so Hezekiah begins to freak out and he loses confidence. That's why it says in, in Hebrews, don't forsake your confidence. Hold on to it that you might be rewarded. And so he goes, man, and so just like his dad, he goes to his treasuries and he sends all of his gold to Assyria. And then he goes to the temple that is so beautifully restored and he strips it of its riches. And he forsakes the work that he'd done and he sends it to Assyria. And even the doors, the first things that he repaired, he strips the gold back off them and he sends it because he sees his mighty army and you can imagine how heartbroken he is. God, you should have kept me safe. I followed you for 14 years. I have brought about reformation. I have established your kingdom. And now behold, I see a mighty army on my doorstep. They should never have arrived. And so often we'll follow God and then trouble comes. We go, God, where are you? Why is trouble at my door? And, and, and God, I often sing, replies, is like, man, I'm, I'm standing right between you and the front door, ready to swing. Yeah. Open that door with me. Let's see who wins. I'm the king of kings. And instead, like, he, he sends everything away to bribe this guy. But it, and Assyria receives the money and they go, we don't care. And city after city after city after fortress begins to fall as Assyria just sweeps through his kingdom, killing everybody, just leaving a few to survive. And you can imagine going, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? My kingdom is falling. My kingdom is falling. Until finally just Jerusalem is left. And just like you saw happen to Israel, it is completely surrounded. And he stands there going, God, I don't understand. We're all going to die. This was for nothing. And he's so desperate. Everyone's tearing their clothing and putting ash on them is what they do. And and then finally, he, he sends a messenger to go see the prophet Isaiah. Because surely God, maybe Isaiah could pray for us. And he turns back to the, to the king of kings. Maybe Isaiah will pray. And so the messenger, and I, I just love the readiness of God. The messenger gets to Isaiah going, Isaiah, would you pray? And Isaiah meets him and says, I have already received a word from God. Go tell your king. I'm the king of kings. and I will see him free. I will see it. And God writes this amazing letter to Hezekiah saying that I'm a God of justice. I will see justice done. And Hezekiah goes to sleep that night and, and, and there's this massive army surrounding him and God sends one single angel during the night to fight this whole army on behalf of King Hezekiah while the king sleeps. While he's sleeping. While he's sleeping, you know, there, there are times for freedom where, where you really need to contend, where you, nearly, you really need to fight. 
And there are other times where you just need to sleep and go, man, Jesus did it all on the cross. And it's in that relationship with God where He, where he leads you into whether you're going to be fighting or whether you're going to be sleeping. It, you know, it says in Mark that the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sows a seed. And whether he stands over it all night watching or whether he goes to sleep, it will grow. I used to get so impatient. I remember I used to plant corn seeds and I would, I would dig them up after the 14 days because they should have sprouted and I would turn them around because the sprout was upside down and then they wouldn't grow because I would always dig them up. Mum would just be like, just be patient. I was like, I don't want to be patient. I want to see results now. Anyway, the king goes to sleep and he gets up in the morning and outside there's 185,000 dead warriors because there was some Old Testament smiting time. Oh, so good. It's just like, 185,000 against one angel, and they got smoked. And and Hezekiah has a kingdom now that is fully free. And it got free, really, on that first month of his first reign, when he began to restore God. And it was a 14-year process against the mightiest army that was conquering the whole world to see the kingdom. And, and he wasn't perfect along the whole way. He got intimidated and he got scared, but there was never a king like him because God was so faithful to him the whole time. And that moment when he turned to God for help, God was like, man, I've got a letter already waiting. You don't even need to pray. And I wanted to share that story because it's one of my favorite stories, but it's such an incredible story of what one person can do when they have a heart to see God's kingdom advance, when they have a heart to see see God's kingdom restored. Josh, can we get the band up? Let's do that song that we got you to do. I've already forgotten how it went. That's the one for the sake of the world. Because Jesus, man, he was fully God and he was fully man. He was one person that God has sent to just completely bring the kingdom of heaven. And then he had 12 disciples, and you know, one of them got a little sidetracked, and then he was 11. And 11 guys like, man, I'm going to change the world. And, and, and from those guys, like the, the whole world has exploded into freedom in Christ. And I just wonder, what would it be like if each one of us caught that thing from God of going, God, I, I know you've got more. Would you use me? God, could I be a part of it? Me and Jack often say, what would it be like if the Bible was still being written today? Would my life be mentioned? Like, would it be significant enough to, to be in the Word of God? Like, and it's not about works or anything like that, but I'm so excited by the possibility that what God wrote in the Bible is actually real. That my, my task in life is to create disciples to heal the sick, cast out demons, to cure lepers and to raise the dead and to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, to see His kingdom come. Man, if that's real, that's incredible. And it's in the Bible, so it's gotta be real. So I just wanna invite you, begin to let your imagination wander. What would it look like if I saw God's kingdom begin to move through my life? If I said, God, would you use me? God, I want freedom, not just for myself. I don't want to be a self-centered Christian. I want freedom for my community. So I kind of said, you know, that whole people making other people whole. We just stand and worship this morning and just do one last song. What I wanted to is just, I don't want to call anybody forward or anything like that. If you want to, feel free to come if you want to worship God at the front. But 
I just want to invite in your heart this morning. Like, oh, would you use me? Would you use me to see my workplace transformed, to see, to see my school change, to, to see my street change, for my neighbours to know that I'm praying for them? I love that the police force want us as a church to pray for them. God, would you use me? Like Isaiah said, God, here I am, send me. And I love the Word of God that says that the eyes of God are constantly looking through and out the whole earth, looking for the hearts of those who are completely devoted to Him. He's searching. Just like Hezekiah said, man, if you're three, I'll use you. I don't care whether, whether you're 10 foot tall or whether you're like knee high to a grasshopper, I'll use you. And you will see what mighty things I will do. All I need is your heart and I'll do the rest. So let's just worship this morning and I just invite you to go on that, go on that exploration with them in your faith. Let's stand.